Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Mark Thompson. Get woke. God bless you. Get woke. Folks, MIP is now COVID free, meaning free to all subscribers as we navigate this pandemic. We're thinking about everyone and we've got to get through this together. So for a limited time, no fee to subscribe to make it plain on your favorite podcast app. Ladies and gentlemen, of course, it's Thursday. Time once again for Thursday. Coast in the person of the founder. And this is, of course, the largest online progressive community there is named for the founder, a town named all after him. Uh, and his statue will and should <laughs> remain as a result. Mark, no statue, please. <laughs> no statue. You don't want a statue, man? No, I don't want a statue. That's okay. <laughs> Too much trouble, huh? That's like, I, I don't even understand this obsession with statues. You know, I used to, I remember in Boston, Boston's a city of statues, right? I mean, and I was going to law school in Boston, and then you see this, you know, statue, and it's some random name, and you just picture people commemorating this statue, going like, people will never forget this great man, and we're sort of going like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> right. They actually do. Who cares? Well, so start as we always do. Uh, your state is blowing up again in terms of Corona. What's going on? It is, and not not my corner of the state. My corner of the state never really opened up and uh, has been probably the single most responsible little corner of the country 
so you're looking at San Francisco, which is the second most dense city in the country, and I think they're at 48 deaths total. So it is a uh, it is um, it's a different world. Northern California and Southern California and Southern California. I don't I I don't understand. L. A. just opened up bars, and which is probably the single most irresponsible thing anybody can do anywhere. Bars are literally the worst. Uh, maybe maybe church choirs are the worst worst because people are yelling and spitting into each other's faces. But uh, I don't know. Bars are probably the worst because people are, it's loud, they're next to each other, they're yelling, you can't mask because you're obviously drinking. Um, so they opened up and, and of course everything's going, you know, all to, to hell. And, and um, you almost expect that in places like Florida and Texas and Arizona that have Trump-like governors who, uh, who have been acting irresponsible from day one, but Cal, you know, I expected better from, from Californians, but Southern California, and it, it's all, it's LA, it's Imperial County, it's, it's all Southern California that is on fire right now. We're, we're actually okay here, but again, we haven't really opened up much. Yeah, yeah. So it shows this thing is not over, it's still out here. Um, and let's face it, it, you know, the fish rots from the head. Not that California takes its cue from Donald Trump, but they've all been pushing this notion that this is okay and it's nothing to be worried about and everybody should just reopen um who couldn't use some leadership at the national level to say no and dr fauci is saying it but he doesn't have as big of a medical mega megaphone not he doesn't and the the nation's right wing has already decided that he's some kind of anti-trump hater uh, Texas Lieutenant Governor yesterday came out and outright said that he doesn't need to listen to Dr. Fossey because he knows better. And they have decided, this idea of politicizing masks, I will never for the life of me understand how that became a cultural war. I mean, I know why Trump is the reason why, but it literally, I mean, these are people who claim to be Christians, right? Aren't they supposed to be Christians? Aren't they supposed to love thy neighbor? The whole point of masks isn't to protect yourself, it's to protect everybody around you. And if they're wearing masks, then you're protected. It's literally about loving thy neighbor. And I don't understand how so-called self-professed Christians are the worst at putting on masks to protect their neighbors. It is crazy. Um, well, we, we hope it gets better. Uh, I don't know. So is, is Southern California talking about closing again? It really should, shouldn't it? Well, the governor forced it on them. This didn't come from local county officials. And, and there's this, I mean, again, from Trump down, this idea that we're going to give local jurisdictions control over making their own decisions because the virus affects different areas differently. I mean, that's a theory, right? right. We're seeing right now that, that it doesn't. The virus doesn't care about boundaries. The virus doesn't care if it's urban or rural or suburban. The virus is spreading when people congregate and they're congregating everywhere. And so you have states like Alabama, Mississippi, rural areas of Indiana, rural areas up in Idaho that are absolutely on fire. And that could have been avoided by, by restricting people's mobility. And it sucks and it's horrible. And I need it. I, yesterday I did my own haircut and it looks okay from the front, but if I were to turn my head, it would look pretty, pretty horrible. Turn around. So I won't turn 
I'm not turning around. Because I'm, I'm going to put the social media. You know, I put the clip on. You see me, turn around. It, look, it actually looks good from the front. <laughs> yeah, no, from the side, it's a little, it's a little harsh. Yeah, I've seen worse. It's okay. Um, and but, I was so on the mirror like this. You all haven't reopened so much where you are. Is that the case or what? Yeah, it there's there's um restaurants are only takeout. There's still only takeout. Uh there's no gyms, no definitely no bars, no uh no you know, many petties, no hairstyles, no hair salons, none of that is open. And uh, and we have a mandatory mask requirement that is if you're within 30 feet of anybody. So it's it's not even near people, it's 30 feet. So, so why can't, the, so the governor imposed something on Southern California, but didn't impose anything on your part of the state? Is that? Well, we're far and beyond the most restrictive restrictions of probably anywhere in the country right now. Okay. But the, the governor can overrule that. I mean, you you all can maintain those. Yeah. I mean, what the governor did is he gave municipalities the ability to loosen restrictions if they wanted to. There was never a limit on how restricted you could be. There was sort of a, a base floor. And L.A., from the beginning, all those Southern California counties decided they were going to open up fully uh, when their numbers looked terrible. I mean, they look terrible like today, terrible, right? But relative to what is happening up here in, in Northern California, I mean, uh, LA yesterday had, I think, 3,000 new cases and their positive rate is, is, you know, it's in the double digits. While we up here in Alameda County, which is adjacent to San Francisco, it's Oakland and Berkeley, and uh, we had, uh, I think, 100 new cases, and that's high for the, for the area. Yeah. And it's because people from Southern California moving back and forth, right? But um, 100 cases, I think most of the, you know, some of these hotspots would kill to have 100 cases in a in a location that's five million five million large no that's 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 much better well thank god it's not as bad up there i hope it stays that way speaking of things being on fire has brett kavanaugh said susan collins campaign on fire i hope so oh, man he absolutely did um susan collins is probably i mean this is somebody who coasted her for decades on this idea that she was this political independent and she was a maverick and and she uh, was willing to work with Democrats and with re Republicans and for whatever reason that sold in Maine that was that was popular and and so we went several cycles both in well she was in the House and in the Senate where she was untouched I mean she didn't even have credible Democratic opposition because she was so popular then last year she votes for Brett Kavanaugh for the U.S. Supreme Court after this big, long, drawn-out drama over whether she would or wouldn't, but they needed her vote. If she didn't vote for Kavanaugh, that vote would have failed. So uh, she claimed that she had talked to Kavanaugh, and he said that he respected president, judicial presidents, and so he would not vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. And uh, um, Maine is going to go Democratic by double digits. I mean, it's not even going to be close, right? So she needed to sort of differentiate herself from Trump by voting for Kavanaugh and his reactionary right-wing uh, agenda. She basically tied, him, tied herself to Kavanaugh's judicial decisions. And one after the other, 
they've been terrible. They've been everything we expected, right? With the Alito uh, wing of the Supreme Court. And, but she always sort of held on, held on to like, he won't overturn Roe v. Wade. So we had one big massive decision, this Texas or Louisiana uh, restrictions on abortion providers. And it was the exact same law that the Supreme Court decided four years ago. So uh, if you were gonna follow precedent, this is literally the case to follow President Son because it was just, just, just decided. The only difference was Kennedy was replaced by Kavanaugh. Um, of course, he voted to restrict abortion rights, right? He made a mockery. But here's where it gets interesting to me is uh, they lost, right? The conservatives lost that case because, um, because the Chief Justice John Roberts voted with the liberals and he claimed precedent. There's a whole story there why Roberts is suddenly voting against everything Trumpian, right? I mean, there, there's, there's a story there that hasn't been quite told. But that vote that Kavanaugh cast what, did not make a difference in the case, right? So he could have, to give Susan Collins a lifeline, he could have joined Justice Roberts in saying, well, I got to respect presidents just like I promised last year. And then next year they could they could rule to overturn, you know, abortion, which is what Roberts actually signaled. He basically said, "Give me a little bit different facts, and, and I'll vote to restrict abortion." Kavanaugh could have joined that. He could have given Collins a lifeline. Collins could have walked around saying, "See, I told you, Kavanaugh wasn't wasn't the person you know you claimed he was. I was right all along." And people like me and you we have been like, "Oh crap!" Like she got us there, <laughs> and it would not have affected the outcome of the case. But we knew who Kavanaugh was, right? I mean, he has multiple accusations of sexual assault. He, you know, he clearly was an a-hole of, of epic proportions. And here he had a chance to do something for somebody that basically gave him this lifetime appointment to the court. And he couldn't bother to give a damn to do so. So he proved that he was exactly the person we said he was. And he screwed Collins over so deeply that I just still can't, I can't get over it. How easy it would have been for him to help her out, and he didn't care. Yeah, that's amazing. So that should be the nail in her coffin. It is. It's the nail. Not only is it the nail in her coffin, it's the nail of the Senate majority in the Senate. They're not gonna. They're done. Yeah, you can. You and can. The Senate majority is gone. The Senate majority is gone. Absent again, you know, something insane. But at this point, I can't even imagine what could happen to turn that around. The Republicans know. I mean, Mitch McConnell is is using loser talk now. He's threatening a Senate Democratic majority next year. I mean, he's talking about what happens when Democrats take over. I, they all know the polling for Senate Republicans isn't just atrocious, but it is collapsing in places where it shouldn't be, places like Iowa and Texas and, uh, and Alaska and places like that. I mean, this is, I'm not kidding here. I'm not exaggerating. I, I don't like to give people false hope. I know there was a poll that said that we were tied in, in Missouri. We're not, so we're not gonna win Missouri. Alaska and Montana are competitive at the presidential level. And I'm not saying we're gonna win them. If I had to guess, we're gonna lose both by a few points. But that means that our Senate candidates in those two states don't need as many crossover votes 
to win. So these are all, you know, even if, if, if we don't, I mean, that's six electoral votes. It, it, they're all utterly irrelevant, right? We don't care if we win Montana and Alaska at the presidential level, but those Senate races actually matter. And the closer it is at the presidential level, the more of a chance we have of winning those races. And so right now, if I had to guess, I'd say that we're gonna end up in the 53-47 Democratic Senate when the votes are all finally counted and we have a chance of 55, 56 seats. I mean, it is that much of a way. Worst case scenario right now is 50-50 and we win the White House and we have a tiebreaker. That to me right now is the worst. Worst case, if things go south, we only get, you know, we pick up three net seats. Wow, that's good. Uh, by the way, Susan Collins said uh, that she agreed with the Supreme Court decision, um, but that Kavanaugh's um, uh, opinion or his vote, quote, gave no indication end quote, <laughs> to overturn Roe v. Wade. Right. Susan. She, you know, see, that's so she, she people in Maine are stupid. Does she? I mean, she really, yeah. people in Maine don't know anything and can't read, I guess. Yeah, and, and you know what, what sucks for her is that people do. Like Maine, they're not they're not dumb. And she was popular when she straddled that line well. And she stopped straddling that Kavanaugh was just too blatant and obvious. And she overnight became the second most unpopular senator in the country, only behind Mitch McConnell. And um she hasn't been able to recover. No, and the, there hasn't been a lot of polling, but the polling we've seen, she's she's losing by a lot. And what we shouldn't forget, because this is the big, big, big deal, is that after she voted for Kavanaugh, uh, I don't know if you remember, but people started donating to the nominee fund for whoever the opponent was going to be. Right. That after, I think it was about two weeks after that vote, that nominee fund sat, sat at $6 million. Uh, I don't know where it's at today because we've still been, you know, at Daily Coast, we've been fundraising for it, and I'm sure other people have as well. Uh, I'm sure it's over seven million by this point. So that means that after the primary in Maine, which is is uh, this month, it's July, yeah. After the primary, and it's probably going to be Sarah Gideon, who's the the state Senate Majority Leader. She'll overnight. She'll wake up the next morning, have six million dollars in the bank. Yeah. Maine's not an expensive state, right? No. Collins doesn't have that much money, so she is overnight going to be flooded uh, with attacks. And she's not in a position right now to weather any attacks because she's already deeply in the hole. So it, I, it's hard to see how she turns it around. Uh, Kevin, I could have given her a lifeline. I mean, I don't know if it would, it would have saved her, but it would have given her more of a fighting chance. And he just didn't care. He got his. He got his lifetime appointment. He doesn't care about anybody else, particularly not a woman. He's definitely shown he doesn't care about women. So didn't Maine or hasn't Maine elected in the majority of its um, leadership women, I think, because you have the women speaker. Uh, there were several women who went in and on a wave in Maine, if I'm not mistaken. And the reason I'm raising that is, if, if women Democrats um, are popular in Maine and Mainers voted last time around to elevate women Democrats who are obviously progressive, that means yeah. women are a very significant part of the electorate in Maine and their allies, they are simply not going to return Susan Collins. I mean, that's, 
that handwriting is clearly on the wall, even with without Kavanaugh. Yeah. No, it's it's. It, I mean, it. She's she's not going to get reelected. Good. I'm actually my my surprise more than anything is that she ran for reelection, given how poor her numbers looked. Um, a lot of people, Joe Lieberman is one of them, just quit, right? Like, like oh yeah, I'm, I'm, it doesn't look like I'm going to win. I'm going to step out and we'll go out a winner. She decided that, I don't know if it's hubris or or uh, whatever it might be, but she thought she had a chance. And, and not only does she not have a chance, but Kevin, I was making sure <laughs> that she has an anchor around her leg. That's the hell of a thing that he did that and didn't even think about it. So now you mentioned that in states, uh, where it's even close at the presidential level, that still gives us a slight advantage at the Senate seat level. Um, so that's a good thing. But um, tell us what you think about the presidential level at this moment. Uh, is Does Trump still have a shot at this? Because all the polls are saying something different and the media is having it up. And I think, you know, <clears throat> you and I know we have to be careful about our side. Because we in this tricky thing. If we say, like 2016, there's no way Hillary's going to lose. And then some of us don't vote just on that basis <laughs> alone. We we snatch the feet from the jaws yeah. of victory. But give us your honest assessment on where you think it is at the presidential level, uh, Marco. Yeah, I think, I, think uh, I mean, we're going to, it's, again, absent something we can't see, right? If all current trends continue, we're going to, Biden's going to win, and he's going to win easily. Uh, the states, uh, both public polling and then our own data at Civics, we're showing significant mid-single digits in Arizona, in North Carolina, in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. We're seeing low single digits in, in leads in Arizona, not sorry, uh, Florida, in Georgia. And what's crazy, what, what I still can't fathom is that uh, Things look tied in Iowa and in Ohio. And these are states that Trump won by nine and 10 points last, last cycle. So these aren't states that we need. They're not states that are, in, that are necessary. And like I said, Montana and Alaska are competitive. Texas is mid-single digits deficit. Uh, but we had, we had Trump winning Texas by 13 points uh, at the beginning of the year. Now it's hovering around four points, Trump lead. So it's, it's shrinking. And the trend hasn't stopped. I mean, there's nothing in, in the numbers to suggest that Trump has hit rock bottom. He's finally bleeding support amongst, uh, amongst uh, seniors, amongst um, non-college white people, which have been sort of the rock bet. And I'm not saying Biden's going to win them. He's not, right? But there's a difference between losing them by 35 points and losing them by 15 points. And that's the sort of numbers that we are seeing. Now, keep in mind that the coronavirus death toll is only going to get worse while Trump's return does nothing. Uh, we have the bounty gate now that is actually, even Republicans are starting to look upset about that and uh, for obvious good reasons. There's, I think things are only going to get worse for Donald Trump in the next few months, but even if it doesn't, he is losing. And we are within striking distance of Biden getting 400 electoral votes. I mean, it is a real possibility. He doesn't need it. And if I'm running his campaign, I'm not, I'm not contesting Ohio and Iowa and Alaska and Montana and Texas, right? You're, 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 you're 
you're going after the states that you need to get to 270, right? So the original seven battleground states that we talked about from the beginning, which were Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. You focus on those, go, those states, you lock them down, even if you have leads, and, and Biden has leads in all those states, you act like you're, you know, those states are tied and you focus on those and other things will fall. I mean, at this rate, who knows, but it doesn't matter. What matters, again, like we were saying, is if we close that gap in Texas, if we close that gap in Iowa, if we close that gap in Montana, in Alaska, suddenly in Kansas, suddenly you have Senate seats that weren't on the map. South Carolina with Jamie Harrison, suddenly have Senate seats that are not competitive because they're such red states and that opens it up for, uh, for us to, uh, if you're talking mid single digits, it's still tough, but you get just a few people either to split their tickets, <clears throat> which doesn't happen very often these days, or which is more likely if somebody votes for the president and then walks away, doesn't vote down ballot because they don't think it's important, they don't know, whatever, apathy, ignorance, and then that becomes a real possibility. I'm not worried about Democrats not turning out to vote. I think people are going to turn out to vote against Trump just to turn out to vote against Trump. <laughs> I mean, they may be they may be living in Idaho. There's no chance they're going to you know Biden's going to win Idaho. I don't think Idaho Democrats are going to stay home just because there's no chance. I mean, I, Democrats are motivated. And there's one last factor that I think um, some people have discussed, but it's not quite fully understood, and that's the notion of the double haters. So in 2016, there were people who hated Donald Trump, they hated Hillary Clinton, but they hated Hillary Clinton more. And so Trump won the double haters something like 68 to 30. There's actually, it's in the exit polls. It was actually an exit poll question. This year, there are double haters. And um, there are plenty of Democrats who are like, ugh, Biden, right? So there, it's, a, it's a big pool, once again, the double haters, they hate both of them. But it is in all the polling that asked that question, Biden is winning the double haters by over 90%. So it, that just shows that this is, 2016 was a referendum on Hillary Clinton for whatever reasons, lots of them. This is a referendum on Donald Trump. And it, so this effort to like drag Biden down, is utterly worthless. You know, Trump is trying to look for a new nickname because Sleepy Joe's not effective enough. Nobody cares about Joe Biden. They can talk about Joe Biden sitting in his basement, which may, you know, he doesn't need to come out. And Joe Biden being Joe Biden, he's probably better off <laughs> saying as little as possible. And it doesn't matter because all people care about is do we, can we survive another four years of Donald Trump? And nobody looks at Biden and thinks Biden's going to be worse. And yeah. that's Donald Trump's problem. You mentioned Bounty Gate. You're a veteran. I want to get your reactions to that. Trump attacked Colin Kaepernick and said that he was disrespecting the troops. While Trump has allowed bounties to be carried out against the troops. So really, people ought to be taking a knee not only for Black Lives Matter, but for the troops that he's allowed bounties to be on. But, but what do you think about I mean. There's just everything about it is, is beyond outrageous and, and that it, they would allow it to happen if Trump didn't know the fact that he didn't know because he didn't read his briefing materials. That in itself is outrageous and disqualifying for president. Uh, 
this is not one of those things where you can claim ignorance because if you didn't know, either you didn't want to know or you hired people that are afraid to tell you the information that you need to know. And even if you assume all of that, maybe if you assume, okay, he really didn't know and there was good reasons for him not to know. Why isn't he railing against Russia today? Right. I mean, so it's, you can't even use that as a sculpt because he's ra railing against China and the Wuhan virus and this and that. Like, He's showing all sorts of outrage for other countries, but it's dead silent for Russia. It's, oh, it's a Russia hoax. Immediately, you immediately defends Russia. And it is one of those mysteries that I, I will never understand is how the Republican Party, which was always so anti-Russia, overnight decided to look the other way when Donald Trump decided that he was gonna let Russia basically pull his, his strings, which is exactly what he's done. And uh, Putin may be the greatest geopolitical figure in, in so far of this century because his ability to bring down the United States, basically trash our country and control, you know, uh, help elect the president that he controls is a masterstroke of genius that he, he's probably still wakes up every morning going like, I can't believe this happened. I'm literally paying to murder American troops. And he invites me that same week. He invites me to the G7 summit. Yeah, yeah, right. It, it, as if nothing has happened. It's, it's absurd. Yeah. Okay. VP, again, you still with Warren. You think Warren's the best choice? Uh, I think Warren's a great choice. I mean, I, I, um, the one name that has been floated recently that I'm actually excited about would be Rep. Karen Bass of, uh, of California. She's a Los Angeles area uh, congresswoman. She's, I believe she's chair of the Congressional Black Caucus right now or co-chair. She is. Yeah. She, she is impeccable on her progressive bona fides. She is an absolutely inspiring and amazing woman. Um, she is the first new name that I've heard that I thought like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. So um, I, I still think, <clears throat> I mean, I think Warren would be absolutely fantastic on the merits. Uh, I think Karen Bass would be fantastic on the merits. Uh, I think Stacey Abrams would be fantastic, but she's been some, for whatever reasons that I still don't, don't, um, don't know. She has been, she didn't even make the short list, which was very, very, very weird. Um, we know that for a fact that she didn't. Yeah, we know. I mean, from reports, and nobody's contested that. Nobody's nobody has uh, pushed back against it. So um, I'm a, just I'm taking that at face value. But um, yeah, so I was excited about Karen Bass. I actually, in, in, you know, to be very, I would I'd be perfectly happy with Val Demings. I'd be perfectly happy with um, uh, with um, Kamala Harris. Uh, I think they have liabilities in their law enforcement backgrounds that I don't think anybody wants to really litigate right now. I think Warren has liabilities in that she's not a black woman in this moment that I'm not sure anybody wants to litigate. So Karen Bass may be the cleanest, easiest, least controversial pick that Biden could make at this time. So I'm really, really gung-ho. Uh, 
you know me, I'm a big fan of Elizabeth Warren. I actually think she'd be great. I think she has proven and shown that she understands issues of racial inequities. And, uh, <clears throat> but given sort of the zeitgeist, given the moment, um, obviously picking her would be controversial and uh, would create an intra-party fight that I'm not sure anybody really right now is, is interested in fighting. So uh, picking somebody without that kind of baggage who still would work to unify the left, and she wouldn't do it immediately because she has no name ID, right? Nobody knows who she is. So she would have to, we'd have to educate people on her as a way to unify that, that Bernie left. But there's also, at this point, do we really even need to unify the Bernie left? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty clear. Can we, and does it matter if we don't? That's the first way. Is it even possible? Uh, I think it's possible. Because, yeah. because if you define, I hear you defining that by implication, the, the Bernie left. Um, I think most people know they've got to vote for Biden. I think, aren't you talking about the people who are still holding out and considering not voting for Biden? And if, to me, if you in July are still not sure or holding out, I mean, I don't. Kind of, yeah, you're irredeemable at that point, right? right so, I mean. You so, may not, <clears throat> now, the difference, though, is there's a difference between going like, ah, I'll vote for the guy. And then having a VP that gives you a reason to do more. Okay. Right. And it doesn't, I, again, I don't think it matters so much at the president. They're not going to do that for Warren either. They, I don't think they're going to do that for anybody. I think they'd get excited for Warren. I think they might, once yeah. they get to know Karen Bass, they might get excited for her. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. The snake, they call her a snake. Warren. Yeah. <clears throat> a certain percentage did, of course, a certain percentage. But things that sort of, obviously, in the heat of the moment, I actually, there's, 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 a, there's that 10% of Bernie supporters that are irredeemable, right? They're, <clears throat> they were never going to vote for the Democratic ticket anyway. Uh, they're the kind of people that would call Bernie a sellout like that the first time you have to compromise on anything anyway, right? These are, I don't think these are uh, rational, uh, serious people. Um, but I do think that it matters down ballot because we, we need more, we need excitement, we need energy in order to generate the kind of vote we need to not just win the Senate uh, and pull those those edge cases, you know, the Alaskas and the Montanas and the Iowas, you know, drag those into the Democratic column. But we also have house races in, in seats. So uh, Tuesday night, a QAnon person, a, a uh, Republican, defeated an incumbent, boring, Trumpian Republican in a seat that Trump won by eight points. Mm -hmm. This means that that seat is suddenly, that house seat is suddenly in play. But it's a tough Republican sort of, you know, leaning area. So the question is, do we do we get that down ballot excitement? Not to win the White House. I mean, it's this is in Colorado. Biden's gonna win Colorado easy. It doesn't matter if he wins Colorado by 10 points or 15 points for Biden. It matters for the semi competitive house race, uh, if we can squeeze out that extra bit of support. So there there is value in exciting the base beyond what Biden will do on his own. That said we're looking pretty good already. So I was more worried about unifying the base three months ago than I, than I am today after Trump is literally just lit the country on fire and uh, um, made a mess of quite possibly everything 
that he could touch. Yeah, sure. Burn everything down. Yeah. Dailycoast.com. Follow. Check out Civics. All the latest polls, too. Civics with a Q. Founder, Marcos Melitsis here with us. No statue. No Thank statue. <laughs> Thanks so much. You founded a town. That's usually get your statue. I get a URL. Virtual town. I get my name on... Yeah. <laughs> That's good enough. Have a great weekend. Everybody, please stay safe. It's dangerous out there. It, this thing's not over. Let's treat yeah. this. Uh, let's, yeah, let's make sure our people are safe. Yeah, take it easy, folks. Please take it easy. God, you are our refuge. Send our ancestors to guard our doors. Cast out this virus from our communities and our bodies. Heal, bless, and protect everyone listening and their loved ones. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.